Happy Passover, happy first fruits. Happiness all over the place. Happy feasts, happy spring feasts, happy unleavened bread, happy day, happy people, happy kids, happy wife, happy life. Guys, we love y'all so much, more than we can express. We're so thankful for you guys. We give thanks to God with tears in our eyes as we think about you guys. Our hearts are heavy when your hearts are heavy. We care about your success and the success of your family. And we're praying for you. Just know that. Just know that you're cared for and that we are praying for you. And if you are in here and you feel alone, don't be alone. Don't remain alone. Don't stay that way. Reach out. There are people here that love you that you don't even know. Let's go to Luke 9. Sometimes when the feasts come around, I get a little zealous. <laughs> you might be surprised to find out. Is jo did I see Josh and Lisa here? Where are they at? Congratulations. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Luke 9, 23 and 24. I want to read this to you guys. Although I'm going to mention Passover and unleavened bread, we're going to spend most of our time on first fruits this morning. There are three little taglines that we've given to the spring feast. Passover is what? Does anyone remember? He saves me. Unleavened bread is? He searches me. First fruits is? He leads me. By the way, Garrett, write that prophecy down and give it to Anthony and Jess. Make sure that uh, we keep track of it. Thank you for sharing that this morning. So the spring feasts, what we'll see today is that they are a pattern. They are a pattern teaching us about the character of God and therefore teaching us about how our character should be. God's character reveals to us direction for our lives. The more that we learn about him, the more that we understand about who we are and what we're supposed to be doing here. Would anyone agree with that? Anyone that's come to know the Lord at all, even a little bit, doesn't it give you clarity as to how you're supposed to live and interact with the world? Even if you only know him a little bit, does, hasn't that little bit helped you know how to treat other people and how to see yourself? Don't you want to know more about him so that you can understand more about who you are and how to interact with the people of this world and how to see him and relate to him? The feasts teach you about his character and they teach you in such a simple way that you can teach it to children so that your kids grow up knowing about the character of God in a very simple way. So it, it becomes secondhand to them. That's why that's one of the reasons why we love the feast so much. What you'll see in verse 23, Jesus says to them, if anyone would come after me and another version of translation, it says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, don't your ears perk up a little bit when Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, okay, what's he going to say? Can I do it? Do I measure up? Can I follow what he's about to say? Is this something I can attain? This is what he says. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. How many times did Jesus take up his cross? That's not a trick question. Once. He took up his cross once, but he's telling us to take it up daily and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Do you want to be saved? Then you must lose your life. Do you want to follow Christ? Do you want to be his disciple? Yes. Then you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. Now, when you think about carrying a cross, this is not a cross, but it's like a heavy, burdensome thing, right? 
If I had to carry this thing around, but it weighed like a hundred times more than this, right? And I had to carry it around all day long. Don't you think that the picture that would send to the world is that this following Christ is a burdensome thing, right? Don't worry about me. I'm following Christ and carrying my cross daily. Where's your cross? Probably not as heavy as mine, right? Take up our cross daily. And is what he was trying to communicate is that he wants you to live a tortured life? Because the cross was a torture device. So if he's saying, if you want to be my disciple, pick up a torture device daily and then follow me. What a marketing scheme. You know how I can get the most people? I'm going to tell them to pick up torture devices daily and then just follow me. Then I'll just leave it at that. And then if they're asking, yeah, but I want to live, okay, then lose your life. He's flipping it upside down on them. But I, what I want to tell you today is when Jesus tells you to carry your cross, it's because he knows that carrying your cross inevitably leads to resurrection. And that the message that Jesus is sending us when he says, take up your cross daily, is go through the way of the cross and enter into resurrection power. And that that actually is what we're supposed to live in all day, every day. Because when you think about Jesus and the way that he lived his life, when you think about resurrection power and what that means for you, would you say that Jesus lived in resurrection power during his days on earth? Yes, he did. But he only took up his cross once. The goal is not the torture device. The goal is the resurrection. The goal is not the cross. That's why it says, for the joy set before him, he scorned the shame of the cross. Why? Because on the other side of the cross was resurrection. And so when he says, take up your cross daily... What he's communicating to those who want to be his disciples, which would be us. Yes. What he's saying is get to resurrection by way of the cross. And what we're going to see is that the cross, because it also is uh, partnered with resurrection. We see that there are two other main things that go along with the cross. We're going to take a look at those today and then we're going to spend most of our time focusing on first fruits. So the full message of Passover week in Matthew 21. Do you have that little slide that I made? I took so much time putting together with all the little logos. Look at this. This is my first attempt. It's not my first attempt. Heavy fifth. Fifth time. I consulted with Nick's marketing company. He's still working on it too. They do design. If anybody is interested, are you taking on, are you taking on any new clients? Not at, not at this time. Not at this time. Not ever. Don't bother. We see the palm branches. Does anyone have palm branches under their seats? Can you take those out? Surprise, surprise. Wave them around in the air. If you got them. So look, Jesus triumphal entry. You got it, Mike. I'm, I'm coming for you. Jesus' triumphal entry. I'm not Jesus, but this is just, this is not, I'm not Jesus. That's good. She's helping me. I'm not Jesus, in case anybody was wondering. But look, as he was entering in, what were they saying? Hosanna. 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 Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is Palm Sunday. They were waving the palm branches. This is the day that they welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. But what we see is that this happened on the same day that all the people were selecting the lamb. This is a box of tissues. I need better props. Pretend this were a lamb. Yes. Paw Patrol. Here's a lamb. Get that out of here. So on the day that everybody, forget, don't think about Jesus for just a moment, right? Pretend you're just a Jew. On this day, you're selecting the lamb that you will keep in your family. And you will keep this lamb for four days. You will develop a connection with this lamb. You will snuggle with this lamb. Give it kisses. Sleep it next to you in the bed. 
you'll love this lamb. And then four days later, <laughs> off with its head. No, not off with its head. They would slit its throat and they would catch the blood. So on this same day that they were receiving the lamb, receiving the lamb, the people who would four days later crucify Jesus on the cross are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On the same day that the Jews were receiving the lamb that they would sacrifice for Passover. In John 19 and Matthew 26, we see that Jesus is inspected during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jesus is being inspected. You ever wondered why he gets tossed around to Pilate, then to Herod, and then he has like a mock trial at the Sanhedrin. And everybody's like, we find no sin in him. We find no sin in him. They have to cr create liars who will betray him, right? Why? Because they can't find any sin in him. You think, wow, that was a lack of organization on their part. No, he was being inspected by every authority and found without sin. As a lamb, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was found to be unblemished. This was also from Exodus 12. Our Passover lamb had to be inspected and was found to be without sin. That's why they kept coming and saying, I find no basis of charge against him. I see no sin in this man. That's why they kept saying that. Because Jesus was fulfilling scripture. He was the perfect lamb sacrifice. We see that on Math in Matthew 28, Jesus rose from the dead on the feast of firstfruits. So if you look at a calendar and you see the dates, Jesus fulfilled all of these on the dates they were supposed to happen. So now when we're teaching our children and they're asking questions, we get an easy lead in to how Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture. This has been so life-changing because it also forces us to learn what we're teaching them. But how beautiful is it that Jesus himself celebrates Passover with his disciples right before he's crucified? Takes the time to celebrate, prepare a meal, and enjoys fellowship with his disciples before him. So again, Luke 9, 23 through 24, daily take up your cross. This inevitably leads to resurrection. Bring up the word inevitable. How many of you guys use inevitable in your regular vocabulary? It's inevitable that you'll eventually use it. <laughs> Certain to happen, unavoidable. Let's say the word inevitable together. One, two, three. Inevitable. Inevitable. See, we already used it. It was inevitable. <laughs> inevitable. The inevitable end of your faithfulness to the way of Christ is resurrection every single day. It is certain to happen. It is unavoidable. When you think about enduring through hardship that comes your way, when you think about persevering, I want you to imagine the cross. When we deny ourselves... And follow Christ after taking up our cross daily, we will have to die to ourselves every single day. We die to our own wants, our desires, our wishes, our plans. We die to those things. Why? Not because any of them necessarily are bad in and of themselves, inherently bad. But because that's the way of Christ. He laid down his life, not because his life was bad. He was using his life for lots of good, wasn't he? But it was the will of the Father for him to lay down his life. And so instead of our own will, we say, not our will, but your will be done. That attitude is the way of the cross. Do you remember Jesus saying that moments before he was to be beaten, whipped, and ultimately crucified? Not my will, but yours be done. That is the way of the cross. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. You know, if today we were only to focus on resurrection and not mention the cross at all, it would rob Jesus' message of resurrection to the world. To only focus on resurrection today and not tell the people how we get to resurrection robs the message of resurrection. 
Because if we're saying, I'm on a mountaintop, it's about the mountaintop. How do I get up the mountaintop? This is the way to get to that place. You want to live in resurrection power. This is how we get there. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Are we there? Yep. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Paul plays on the calendar the week that Jesus is sacrificed and then raises from the dead and calls him the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, here it is again, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Christ is the firstfruits of those who would raise from the dead, defeating death. Now when you go to sleep, at night. Are you dead? Some of you feel dead. But are you dead? No, you're only sleeping. Why? Because it's temporary. You will wake up. Now, when you're laying on the ground, how many of you kick and like punch and bite and gnash your teeth and you're very active at night while you sleep? Anybody in here? Yeah, real active. Good. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your, is that Gavin? Thank you for your honesty, Gavin. Is there anyone else who will join Gavin in honesty? Are you restless at night? Okay, good, good. It's good. There's healing already. When you're asleep, it's like you're dead. You're laying there motionless. Right? In fact, have you ever gone up to your baby just to make sure and like, okay, they're just not moving very much, right? Just trying to be careful, right? Think about over and over again, Jesus encountered people and said, oh, no, they're just asleep. They're just asleep. Lazarus. He's just asleep. And they're like, well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. And he's like, he's dead. But I'm trying to express to you that it's temporary. Forget it. He walks up to the to Jairus's daughter's house. Right. And he comes up to the house and all the people are mourning. And he says, no, 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 she's only sleeping. And they're like, he's crazy. And then he goes up and he wakes her up. Well, she was actually dead, wasn't she? Lazarus was actually dead. But in Jesus, or from Jesus's words, we can deduce he was saying, no, 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 it's only temporary. They will raise to life. Do you see that? So then death becomes not the end, but only a temporary state. We will raise to life. So we see that Jesus is the first fruits of those who were dead, but then raised to life. Now, let me explain first fruits to you. We're not going to go to Leviticus if you want to look this up, it's in Leviticus 2. And you can go and see the first fruits offering. So, first fruits. How many of you guys get your food from a grocery store in here? Should be 100%. Should be 100%. Back then, they largely grew their food. In fact, up until about 110 years ago, over 60% of people in America grew their own food and traded. Everything has changed since then. Now less than 1%, a small fraction of a percent have anything to do with farming, besides the point. So we have wheat. I think this is wheat. Barley? We have barley. What they would do is when the harvest was coming in, because the spring feast revolves around the barley harvest, okay? That's why they were celebrating. Food was coming in. They would get their food. You would take the first fruits of your food, now, your family might be hungry. One of the reasons they celebrated the harvest so much is because it was a, an abundance of food. You might have gone from having not very much food to now having an abundance of food. Do you see that? And what they would do instead of taking this and then threshing it, right? And being able to get something that they can make food with for the hungry family. They would instead take it and they would take it to the priest. And they would offer it to the priest. And the priest would wave it forward and side to side, north to east, or north to south, east to west. And he would wave it as an offering before the Lord. What made this offering so different than the other four offerings? Remember, you have burnt, guilt, sin, fellowship, and grain offering. So, what made this offering so different? The first fruits offering. Because it was an offering. From the work of your hands. The other ones were all animals. 
There were provisions for very poor people for them to use something other than an animal, but they were identified by animals. The grain offering was the only one that was centered around the work of your hands. So now think about this a little more. First fruits is a grain offering. When you have the first fruits offering, it's a grain offering. So if Jesus is the first fruits, what it means is that he has produced good works. Do you see that? That Jesus himself is the good work of God in giving his best, right? He gave first to show there's a harvest coming behind me. So now we have the work of our hands, right? And we give it to the Lord. And there's a harvest behind us. This is first fruits. This is what first fruits means. First fruits is very deep, but Jesus himself is called first fruits. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That's almost kind of like that one, that one passage where he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those things I find myself doing, right? You can get lost in it, but let me tell you what it means. How many of you, when you look at yourself or when you think about mankind in general, Adam is not very hard to relate to. Adam and Eve from Adam. You think, yeah, I'm like Adam. Imperfect, broken, right? But when you think about Jesus, how many of you today be like, yeah, I am like Jesus. It's a little harder, isn't it? Because we know Jesus is God. Well, I'm not God. I was reminded just a second ago. Yeah, you're not Jesus, right? Which is true. I'm Nick Slaughter. That's who I am, right? But what we see is that we are told, just like we are like Adam, we are like the heavenly man. Just like we are like Adam, we are like Jesus. Think about that for just a second. We have a hard time seeing Jesus as a man, don't we? It's easier for us to see him as God. Well, when he came, it was easier for them to see him as a man because he was walking around. It was harder for them to see him as God. It takes faith either way. If you're there with him and you're touching his flesh and you can see him, it's like, wait, you're telling me you're God? And now that we're looking back on the story, it's as if we're saying, wait, you're telling me that you're a man just like me? Do you see how that works? It takes faith for us to be able to understand. But what Jesus did, not only can we do, it is what we are supposed to do. And not just the cool parts, every part, right? So what we'll see is that we are like him. Can you bring up that other slide that I made? It's the one where we are like Jesus. If that one, it may just say screenshot on it because I didn't change the name. And if it's not on there, we're done for. No? No good? Yes. For the win. We see we are like him in his trial. I want you to think about this for just a second. Jesus was questioned. He was examined. They looked at every aspect of his life. They observed him. His disciples were with him day and night for years. He went through trials still, even though he was perfect. We go through trials like Jesus. Jesus experienced death. We experience death. You say, but I thought I only died one time. Let me ask you, if you've given up on dreams or hopes or relationships or on possessions for the sake of Jesus, can you grasp what I mean when I say you have to die to yourself? Yes. 
each time that you go through the trial, when you choose to follow Jesus, it is death to yourself. Do you see where we're going with this? Each time you go through a trial and choose to follow the way of Jesus, it results in death to your flesh. So then what happens? You go through burial just like he did. Now, what does that burial look like? How many of you guys, as a result of your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with this church, your relationship with each other, have experienced what I would call waiting to be justified? Where they don't understand the choices that you've made. They don't know why you're taking it so seriously. Why you're being so extreme about your faith. Why you're, why you're going to such extremes for your faith and your relationship with Jesus or your relationship with this church. That's what I call waiting to be justified. When Jesus was in the ground, what might his followers have thought? Man, love that dude. Didn't work out. What might his enemies have thought or his persecutors? Yeah, we did it. It's over. Why? Because Jesus hadn't been justified. Do you see that? What we read in scripture is that in many ways, he's not been justified the world over where we can see it. Although we know he has the authority. But to those he appeared to when he rose from the dead, he was justified. So let's watch this. You go through a trial. When you choose to follow Jesus and deny yourself, take up your cross, you experience death to yourself. Death can look like all sorts of things. It can look like the loss of possessions, the loss of time, the loss of energy, the loss of relationships. It's the loss of something, the loss of your sinful desires, whatever it might be. It's the loss of something. But you're not just doing it to lose something, are you? Jesus didn't just die to die, did he? He did it because he was after a goal. The same for us. Whenever we die to ourselves, we're not just doing it to punish ourselves or because we like being tortured. We're doing it because of the trade-off and the exchange that happens on the other side of this death to ourselves. So then we go through that period of death. And then what happens? We're then waiting to be justified. This is where the decision that we just made doesn't make sense to people. And they think we're crazy for doing what we're doing. Devin, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? Where you make a decision for Jesus and you look crazy to everyone around you. That's waiting to be justified. Jesus was in the tomb waiting to be justified. It wasn't just he died and then he came down off the cross like boom. The burial was a significant part that we often overlook. It is waiting to be justified. But then... The inevitable conclusion is resurrection. Because you may go through this process. In fact, you will, because it's inevitable, go through this process of waiting to be justified. But then all of a sudden, your light will break forth like the dawn and you will be justified. The resurrection will happen in your life and you will see I did not sacrifice for nothing. It was for this. That's the resurrection. That's first fruits. I'm not just giving for nothing. I'm giving because what else does first fruits communicate? I planted the seed. I waited and it's happening. First fruits. Resurrection. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will stay alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it will produce a harvest. Do you see that? Seed goes into the ground, death, burial, resurrection. Do you see that? This is a pattern that we have to get burned into our minds because we will go through trials. And if we only think about the discomfort of the trial, we'll bail on the trial and not endure through the process and get to the resurrection side on the other side. Do you see that? We want the resurrection life. That's what we're after. Paul's like, I'm on trial for the what? The resurrection. That's my goal. I'm enduring all of this. And it's all like light and momentary troubles compared to the all-surpassing glory that's on the other side. Paul got it. Let's go to Romans 6 to really drive this point home.
baptized. Baptized is best understood like if you took a, a white towel and dipped it into red dye and then it came back up. What color would it be? Red. It just got baptized in the red. Did you see that? Baptized. And listen to the words that he uses in Romans 6, starting verse 2. By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. When Jesus tells us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and do that daily, it is because daily we get baptized into the trial, into the death, into the burial, and into the resurrection. The question is, each day, how long is it going to take you to take up your cross and get to that resurrection power? How many times do we hear his voice calling out to us or we feel the struggle begin to rise in us and we push away? What do you do? When you start to feel the struggle inside, do you say, oh, let me die now because I will not stay in this struggling state for the rest of my day. No, no, today I will live in resurrection power. Today I will live in the life that Christ died to afford me. Resurrection power now is what I want. Now, I'm coming to church on Sunday morning. I guarantee you before I even get to church, I want resurrection power before I walk in these doors. My goal is not to walk into these doors, wrestle with my flesh a little bit, Maybe go through some trials. But I don't know if I still like this church. These people are weird. This is weird. And then maybe I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll respond. And then I die to myself a little bit. I worship him. And, and then I'm like, wow, I feel good. Oh, worship's over. Man, I, I like going to church. No, that's not the way that it's supposed to be. We get used to going after the cross. Just like David ran to Goliath, didn't he? Why? Because we see what the enemy is trying to do. And we know that victory is certain. We recognize, oh, the enemy intends for my death, but I know that death will only produce resurrection life in me. Therefore, I die to myself, follow the way of Christ, and I will experience his resurrection power. Well, what if people think I'm crazy? Oh, recognize where you are. You're in the waiting to be justified state. What follows that state? Resurrection. That's what we want. We want resurrection power. What's so good about this, too, is when you get used to and you understand that waiting to be justified state, when you understand that, it provides for you security as a believer. Many times when we make crazy decisions or what looks like crazy decisions for the Lord, people start to push us. You're really going to do that? You're really going to go there? You're going to give that? You're going to sacrifice that? And then we start to think, oh... I must look like a crazy person. You know what? I'm changing my mind. Oh, no. Oh, no. You just went through the trial and the death, and now you're walking around like a zombie. That's scary. You don't want that. Just wait. You've already made the sacrifice. Just wait. Just wait to be justified. In fact, believers right now as a whole are waiting to be justified and will be when the Lord returns. Our relationship with him is largely built on the waiting to be justified in the eyes of the world. That's the truth. We have to get really good at that part. And when we can be secure and trust his motives, his character, his love, his heart, when we can trust it during the waiting. Oh, man, then we can't be stopped. Then we can't be stopped because we're not saying, OK, Lord, I gave this. Now, where's the where's the power? Okay, Lord, I, I did this. Now, now where's, where's your love and affirmation? I, I want to feel that. We do what he says, and then we just trust him. It's like planting the seed. I'm not going to go over there and, oh, okay, All right, put it back. I put the seed in the ground, and then I wait. We were just talking. I was talking with Ben. We just planted a bunch of plants in the yard. Or a bunch of seeds, I should say. 
Don't plant plants. I guess you can plant plants. Focus on the seeds. So he put the seeds in the ground. And he was saying, I went in there. I didn't see any seeds coming up out of the ground outside. And I was like, I'll give it a couple weeks. Where did I learn that from? Because I myself was asking the same question. Where are these seeds coming up? How long is this going to take? But then eventually I saw them come up and I said, oh, that's about how long it takes. I got used to the process. Now, if I don't see anything coming up out of the ground, I don't worry. Because the Lord has established his pattern in creation. It's the same thing spiritually. We get to learn these spiritual principles from the physical things that we observe. Do you see that? That's why he keeps relating it back to seeds falling to the ground. So let's go to Hebrews 13. First fruits, first fruits, first fruits. Man, how good is our Lord? Wow. Look at verse 15. <laughs> Peter, oh man, I love you. I was just watching the Lord do such an awesome work in you this morning, man. That was, what a blessing that was to so many hearts. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Oh man, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do you hear the little hints at first fruits? A sacrifice of animals? No, praise the fruit of lips. Don't let me lose my place. That confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. What is he relating this to? First fruits. Let's do it again. My finger gets here. We'll all say first fruits together. First fruits. So he's telling us about first fruits. This is works. This is a sacrifice. And what is he calling fruit? Praise. You mean to tell me that when I praise the Lord, I am giving him a sacrifice? You mean to tell? Yes, because why? Because what happens? Air comes in my lungs. And then what do I do? How do I compress my lungs? It's my diaphragm. Is it my diaphragm? What is it? Diaphragm. So how, does, do I voluntarily compress my diaphragm? It's a muscle? It's a muscle. Yes. So I use my muscle and I push the air out and then my vocal cords go out of my larynx, right? And the air comes out. What am I doing? Work. It's a scientific, defini the scientific definition of work, right? This is work. I'm doing work. And then I give praise. Why? I'm giving a sacrifice of praise because my body is doing work and I'm giving it to him. Now, everything that I do, and then he relates it to what? He says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. Do you see how this is all works? Everything that we're doing, now all of a sudden I understand it. First fruits is also about the things that I'm doing. All of a sudden, when I go and I do good to others and I'm giving a sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on. Yes, that's good. We bring a sacrifice of praise. We see when we sacrifice with praise and by doing good to others that this is first fruits in action. What does this mean? I'm going to tell you a little secret. While the largest first fruits the world will ever know will take place on the day that King Jesus comes with his army and stands on Mount Zion. That will be the largest first fruits that anyone's ever seen. We still are first fruits today. You say, how could that be? I'll tell you. When we live like Jesus did, we are engaging in that process. We become like him in his resurrection power. And we are doing good to others like Jesus did. And we are walking around as first fruits to that larger group that it will take place on the resurrection day. We are the first fruits. We're showing death has no power over me. That's what I'm showing when I go and bring a sacrifice of praise and do good to others and share with others and am kind to other people and follow the way of Christ. When I do that, I am engaged in first fruits 24-7. When I wake up in the morning, my first thought should be, how do I get immediately to resurrection power? 
Don't you always wonder why David is talking about going to him first thing in the morning or awakening the dawn with his prayers and his praises, right? Or coming to the Lord first thing in the day. Why? Because very quickly, I want to die to myself and get busy living that resurrected life. Does anybody else want that? I don't want to be walking around like a man condemned to die. I want to walk around with resurrection power. I've already faced death. Now I'm not afraid of it anymore. And if death is my greatest enemy, what do I have to be afraid of? Don't you want to live with no fear? Then you must die to yourself because the thing that we are scaredest of is death. But we endure death, not just to be tortured, but to get to that resurrection life. It's inevitable when you follow the way of Jesus. Let's go to Ephesians 4.22. Inevitable resurrection when you follow the way of Jesus. Inevitable resurrection power when you follow the way of Jesus. Ephesians 4, 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put it on after Jesus returns. No, put it on today. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. I'm going to give you the cliff notes of what he's about to say because we want to give practical application today. We don't walk around saying, yes, resurrection power. And then in the parking lot, you're honking at people or flipping people off, right? We don't want to do that. Treat our wives terribly. Holler at our children in anger. Here it is. We have a new attitude. This is one of the ways we live in resurrection power. I'm going to be like God, righteous and holy, set apart. We want to speak truthfully. Hear that. Speak truthfully. No half-truths. No holding back truth. No lies. No secrets. We want to live truthfully. Speak truthfully. Don't sin in anger or hold a grudge overnight. Take care of business. If you've been holding a grudge... Take care of business. Search your own heart first. And then if the Lord prompts you to go and address someone else's sin because they've actually sinned, then go and do it. Don't hold a grudge. Stop taking only and be generous. Build others up according to their needs. Get rid of bitterness and slander. Is slander a part of your life at all? Get rid of it. Be kind and compassionate. Forgive. Walk away from impurity, greed, and idolatry completely. Sexual impurity, greed, and idolatry. Walk away from them completely. These things are how we do good works. Speak truthfully. Be kind, generous, compassionate. Share. Build others up. Don't be harsh with other people. Don't hold grudges. Forgive. By doing these things, we are walking Jesus's. We each have our own names. Someone in here might be named Jesus. Still yourself and not actual Jesus. But you are like Jesus. It's a little tricky. What we want is we want to live like Jesus lived so that people see him. It's not beyond us. It's within our ability. We are capable of living like Jesus. And this process of the trial, the death, the burial, and the resurrection is the way that we do it. And it happens every day. So very simply, there is no way around the cross. And the process of Jesus involves the trial Denying yourself and following the way of Christ, which will inevitably lead to death of self, which leads to you being waiting to be justified, which leads to resurrection power. That is the way of the cross. That is the pattern of the feast. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're supposed to do. Amen. Just a few more verses and then we're done. Romans 8. 
Look at this in verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. What an honor. What did I give to him? What did I give to him to earn being a co-heir? It wasn't about what I gave to him. It's about what he gave and his victory over my greatest enemy. Now it's offered to me, hey, you get to be a part of this if you want to. I won't force you. You can choose death if you want to, but I would encourage you, choose life. We get to be co-heirs, and what we give to him is our trash. And in exchange, he gives us life. And if we will choose that life, then we will reign with him. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You can throw 2 Timothy 2.12 up and let's read it together. It says, if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. Do you see that? Why? Because that's the process. If we endure with death, it's almost like we're on the cross right there next to Jesus. On our cross, not his cross, our cross. And we're right next to him. And it's like, that's what we're enduring. And it's almost like we could look at each other and be like, yeah, we know what's coming on the other side of this, right? I know what happens on the other side of this. We can endure it just a little longer, just a little longer. Because you know what happens on the other side of this? Power, love like you've never known. Life, freedom, liberty, joy like you've never known. Healing in your body, your mind, and your soul like you've never known. Endure a little longer. A life lived like that results in us reigning with him. Why? Because resurrection is inevitable. Pull up John 14, 12. Here's something exciting. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. I've got one bundle right here. If each of you grabbed a bundle of barley and we all ran together, what a sign of first fruits that would be to the world. You will do even greater things than these. He's coming back not for multiple brides, for one bride. Now it's better that Jesus goes and sends his spirit so that his spirit can lead us to do the very things he was doing. Unified as one, we move as first fruits throughout the world doing the works of Jesus. They see his works in this world and give praise to God. Let your light shine before men that they may pray, see your good deeds and praise your heavenly father. Give glory to the father. Let your light shine. Do your good deeds and men will give glory to God. There's a harvest coming. That's what the resurrection was about. Do you see it? Look at John 8, 12 and Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Do we have that slide? I thought I made one more cool slide. I might be wrong. Yes. John 8, 12, Matthew 5, 14. You just look at this. I'm going to read you John 8, 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Now I'm going to read you Matthew 5. He says... You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But then does he change his mind when he says you are the light of the world? No, what he's saying is when you do as I do, you are the light of the world. Do you see that? We are called to do the same thing as Jesus. When he says, take up your cross daily, it's because he wants you to live in resurrection power. Because he is the light of the world and we become the light of the world when we do like him. This is what first fruits is all about. When we do good to each other, when we forgive each other, when we don't hold grudges like the world would do. When we speak truthfully one another, when we build each other up, when there's no slander, when there's no malice, when we're not 
holding offenses against one another. When we're humble, we love correction. When we fight for each other, we give to each other. We take care of each other. What's happening? We're the light of the world. That's resurrection power. Now Jesus' resurrection is on display for the whole world to see. That's what this is all about. Does that make sense? And let's stand in victory together. Come on. Pull up 1 Corinthians 55 through 57, and I want to read this together. Ready? Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Wait. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has no victory. The grave has no sting because we've already died to ourselves. And now we go and live in resurrection power. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you glory today because you have defeated our greatest enemy. We have nothing to be afraid of. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And the victory is yours. Therefore, the victory is ours. Because just as you are in the Father, we are in you and you are in the Father. We are one just as you and him are one. So, Lord, we have nothing to fear. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us victory. By your Holy Spirit, show us how to do good works, the right works, how to be good to each other in the way of Christ, how not to fear the trial or to be confused by it, but to endure through the trial even unto death. And once death happens, to wait to be justified, not to abandon the process, but to wait to be justified so that we can live in